want you to think for a moment. You don't have to tell anybody next to you. You don't have to write it down. This is just something for just to log in your, in your own mind. But what is the greatest area of temptation for you? What is the greatest area of temptation? The, the area of your life, the man, you, you, can, you can beat down a lot of other temptations, but this one just seems to constantly rear its ugly head in your life. You can't seem to get past it. You can't seem to push through it. You've got accountability partners keeping you accountable. You got your your mate keep praying for you. You you got memory verses logged up here. You got all that kind of stuff going for you, but you can't seem to get past it. What is that area? Now, all right, so you, as you think about it, try to narrow it down to one word. Now, again, there's always the easy big ones like lust or envy or jealousy or greed or arrogance. Those are out there, and we, we know those. And, man, we can spot them in somebody else. Somebody's arrogance is, is kind of coming through. It's putrid. It's nasty. It's horrible smelling. Whenever there's envy or jealousy, you, mean, you can see it even if the other person can't can't see it. Those are some big ones. But I dare say that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes actually jealousy, envy, all those loss, they're not necessarily the root. But there's actually something deeper going on. And I don't know what it is, and and you may not even know what it is, but I'm going to encourage you to, to dive deeper than just the surface of being able to name what that is. Sometimes these things lead to addictions and, and sometimes these things break up marriages and sometimes these people cause people to lose their careers. But I want to say th- things like people who, who struggle with the fear of rejection. And it, it, it might manifest itself in jealousy, but jealousy isn't the issue. They're dealing with something that ties to a fear of rejection. You got people who deal with anger issues. Oh, my, my number one is I just can't control my temper. I'm like a time bomb. I go off and, hey, but I, I'll cool off and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, the anger is not the issue. The anger is not the issue. It may be actually the fear that they're going to lose, that they're not going to get recognized, that they're not going to win in the end, the fear of losing control, worry. Worry oftentimes manifests itself in greed. I'm not, we're not going to have enough. We need to keep more. We need to store more. We need to hoard more. We, we kind of get into this. I, I'm, 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 I'm going to fear that I'm going to, I'm going to worry that I'm not going to have enough. And so therefore we, we go to another manifestation of greed or uh, anxiety over one relationship because it's not panning out the way you thought it was going to pan out. And so therefore you look over here at greener pastures trying to find a better relationship and really that relationship will be just as sour in, in a short amount of time. And so you start, you start looking though. These are all manifestations of something inside of us, fear, worry, anxiety that can take over. Todd Hunter wrote a book called Our Favorite Sins. And in that book, he had, he had quoted a, a research that was done where they, a survey was done asking for a list of areas of favorite sins, if you will, are areas that people struggle with the most. And what is the area that you struggle with the most? And they had every imaginable one on this sheet of paper. But what came through in this study, that 60% of Americans list anxiety as their top temptation that they struggle with. Anxiety, fear, worry. Now we're in a new year, right? New Year's 
burgeon this opportunity for change. Status quo out the door. I, I, need, to, I need to see changes in, in my body. I need to see changes in my career. I need to see changes in my spiritual life. I've even heard several people share with me, this is something I've said I'm going to do for a long time, go on a global adventure. I'm going to go on one this year. Or I've done this and I've never, I've never been able to conquer that. I'm going to conquer that this year. I love the energy. I love the excitement. Hey, we're two weeks into 2017. How are you doing? No. <laughs> We're two weeks. We got 50 weeks left, okay? But how are you doing so far? And, and I know that here's the problem, though. We up here have this idea of what we want to see in the order of change, but when it comes to living it out, we can't get it from here to here. We can't get it from here, or even maybe even our heart, we can't get it from here down into day-to-day life and getting it out. And that's a struggle for us. And that's disillusionment and shame and guilt comes on us. I really appreciate Randy challenging you the very first week if you were here on January 1st. First day of the year. Challenged you to be in the Word, devour the Word, consume the Word. How are you doing in that? I want to challenge you. Two weeks in, man, you should be a couple chapters in the Bible at least under your belt. Please take the messages to heart. Don't let your life live in status quo. If there's going to be change, you're going to have to see the change. Status quo won't work. I love last week. I mean, Todd Aaron message, I could listen to it multiple times. The whole idea of, hey, listen, let's not stay, but let's learn to go. Let's learn to be goers and not just stayers. We're really good at staying. That's the natural default. In fact, every one of these messages that I'm going to give in this series is going to challenge us to move off of status quo, what most of us do most of the time, what everybody, blood-rutted American does most of the time, to what we should be doing. And I'll tell you this, it's not going to be easy. It's going to move us off of status quo. But listen, are you ready for a change? Or if you're just fine with status quo, then please just turn, tune me out because I'm going to call you to a different level at each and every turn in this. But here's one of those that it's kind of a demon out there that's even getting stronger. And it's that anxiety, fear, and worry that does so many things. And we're going to talk about what it does to us for in just a moment here. But I just want us to understand this is not on the decline in this age of prosperity, in this age of technology, in this age of, uh, of so much self-awareness talk going on, in this age of all of this, guess what? It's on the increase. I don't know if you picked up Time Magazine in November of last, month, uh, last year, but the number in the article, the, uh, the entire magazine, the, the premier article was on anxiety, depression in the modern adolescent. And this is just one part of it. Anxiety and depression in high school kids has been on the rise since 2012. Up until that point, it had kind of plateaued. But now it's on the rise. Teen girls are more likely to experience major depression episodes. Teen boys are more likely than girls to experience anxiety disorders. It goes on to say in the article, not very flattering things about our parenting techniques of our day and our helicopter kind of parenting uh, uh, approach where we hover over our kids and we make sure they get a trophy at every event and, and we make sure that they, and we get upset when our kids don't make the honor rolls or they, they didn't get here. This is literally what it, the words that, that, that they used in the article, that the children of today, the teenagers of today are softer 
have been brought up to be more fragile, are less resilient, and are more overwhelmed than previous generations. And we do that in this kind of mothering, hovering kind of technique, but really what we're doing is we're trying to shelter them from anxieties and fears and worries instead of helping them to know how to cope with them, how to deal with them. And then all of a sudden, whenever anxiety, fear, and worry does hit them, they don't know what to do with it. And sometimes I don't think our parents know what to do with them either. Us adults, we don't know what to do with them because for a number of years, the number one accidental cause of death was automobile accidents. Today, the number one cause of accidental death is prescription drug overdoses. Think about that. What does that say about our culture? That we don't know how to deal with the anxiety, the fear, the worries of our life. And so instead of learning how to cope with them and deal with them, we come over here and we prescribe something to help mask them. And does it help? It might help. It might help a little bit. But unless we come back here and are able to unpack and find some form, manner, means of, of, of getting the load off and getting free of the worry, the fear, and the anxiety, then we're going to be popping the pills. We're going to be drinking the bottles. We're going to be doing the things that this society is telling us to do to deal with the stresses of your life. We're going to be jumping out of this relationship in another relationship instead of making this relationship better than that relationship that will never make it either. I was listening to a TED Talk just this week. Whenever in the TED Talk it talked about depression has surpassed AIDS, malaria, diabetes, and war for leading causes of death. Think about that. In the English, old English language, the word for worry worry is actually an Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle, that means to constrict, that means to choke. And this is what I want to propose to you today is that our worry, our anxieties, and our fears that, that so encompass around us, what they end up doing is they end up choking us strangling us, constraining us, and taking the life out of us. Whether it is the loss of the job or the bad bad health report or it was not the the test score that we wanted to get when we we took the ACT, whatever, we 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 just explode on the inside in worry and it takes the life out of us. How is it that we live in a better rhythm? The series is about living in a better rhythm. Now, I grew up, I was, excuse me, I was born into the disco era. That's how old I am, okay? Yeah, John Travolta, staying alive, staying alive, all that kind of stuff, okay? And then, I, but I lived my teenage years in the, the, uh, the, the, the break dancing and the moonwalking. And so let me do my moon. I'm not going to do that. Uh, Michael Jackson moonwalking kind of, kind of thing. So, but listen, two different beats, right? Two different dances, right? Listen. We need to hear a different beat so we can live a different life. We need to hear a different beat so we can live a better life. We're going to have to move from worry to something else, from fear to something else, from anxiety to something else. What is that something else? That something else would be prayer. 
All right? So now uh, here's one thing I know about fear, worry, anxiety, that it does not fit into the genre of how God made you. It does not fit into the DNA of the way God made you. It does not fit into the way, the prescription of how God made you or me or wants us to live in our redeemed life. Paul told young Timothy these words. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear or anxiety, or a spirit of worry, but a power and of love, and listen to this, a sound mind. Being able not to medicate my fears, my worries, my anxieties, I'll be able to, to addict my way or run from mine or whatever the case may be, my methodology of, of coping mechanisms that I have over here, but actually being able to have the right mind, the right spirit, the right kind of approach to it, that's the way God wired us to be. How are we doing in dealing with the fears, the worries, and anxieties? Take your Bibles and find the book of First Peter, way back in the New Testament. Find it. First Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, walked with him, slept with him, was the one that Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. You, you are the leader, man. And you find Peter next to Paul, and Jesus is probably the primary people in all of the New Testament. Two letters are devoted, or two letters are credited to Peter's thoughts, Peter's writings. The first Peter being written in a Greek language, in a very Koine Greek language, very easy to understand, easy to translate. A lot of Greek students, beginning Greek students, will translate the book of First Peter because it is an easy, very simplified vocabulary and grammar. Come over to Second Peter, which you're not reading from Second Peter, but just to kind of give you the contrast, is far more technical and difficult to kind of break down and break apart. Many scholars believe that Second Peter was written maybe as, 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 as Peter dictated it to him. And so maybe under the hands of a scribe. So we're reading from probably Peter's personal handwritings here as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, both being inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we come to this chapter, chapter 5, the last part. And what he does in this last part is in kind of bullet point fashion. He helps coach these these believers along. Now, let me give you the context. What's going on with these believers? These believers are in a state of persecution. You go back and you study Roman history. You study the era of the New Testament in the first century. Violent persecution to the nth degree was happening. And that's what these people, you talk about stress, you talk about anxiety, you talk about fear, you talk about worry. They had a legitimate physical reason to worry. Their life was on the line for being a Christian. And that was what the, that was the pressure, that was the stress, that was the burden that they lived under. This is what Peter said to that. Verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Short paragraph, to the point paragraph. What do we learn? How can I live at a different rhythm so I will move to a different beat? 
How can I not just medicate, mask, try to hide from? How can I live at a different rhythm and beat in my life? Let's look at a couple things. Paul said, Peter said really quickly, he said this. Number one, I think we've got to step back so you can step up. Step back. Step back from being, trying to be, trying to work yourself into being God, okay? Now, I know you probably, none of us would have said in here, hey, I'm trying to be God right now, okay? None of us would have, would have claimed that, okay? None of us would have confessed that. But we try to be God all the time. Anybody a control freak in here? Nobody wants to confess. Okay. Anybody married to a control freak? Raise your hand. All right. So, good. Confession's good. Now, we'll do marriage counseling later for that confession. Um, the, the whole idea, I can't stand it when the remote control doesn't work. All right? I get upset over that. I'm the god of the remote control. All right? I want the remote control to work. Uh, we want life to work. I can't stand it whenever my, my, my computer shuts down this morning with no apparent reason. I told Tim this morning when I came in, my computer right in the middle of me kind of editing the final d- go on this message, it just all of a sudden shuts down. It's like, okay, practice what you're going to preach today. You're not going to worry over this right now, okay? And I prayed and laid hands on my computer and it, uh, it worked, okay? But I, had to st- I have to stop being God. See, the sooner we realize, number one, there is a God, and number two, I'm not him, the better off we're going to be. The sooner I realize that, the sooner you realize that, and we can move on. Now, I want you to take your Bibles back, and we're going to look at verse, verse, chapter 5 again, but we're going to look at verse 5 leading into verse 6, because you're going to find this humility theme was actually prior to this, and it's running all the way through it. So verse 5 says it like this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. So he tells us to be humble, clothe, put on humility. Listen, I love the whole idea here that he tells us to vertically, excuse me, horizontally, we need to be humble with one another. All right? Not superior to one another, not claiming my power over you, not, not dictating out to you. But I, I, can I live humbly with you? All right? But he goes on. He doesn't just stop there. He says, uh, humility to, towards one another, for God opposes, literally wars against. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Okay? So really, in our relationships with one another, there needs to be a heightened level, an increased level of humility. But then he goes on in the very next verse, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So it's not just humble humility horizontally, but it's humility vertically. And notice this, that he didn't say, hey, you need to be humbled, but he says, you need to choose humility and you need to put it on. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Because what happens if we don't humble ourselves? Life has a tendency to humble us. That's called humiliation. So many of us are living in houses of cards. The number of people that I get to see and talk to and deal with on an intimate level, I see the house of cards. I see the the hollow shells. 
or the brokenness on the inside. And I don't say that in, in a judgment kind of way. But then what we do is we mask it on the outside with this professionalism, with this might and this power, and we flex our muscles and all that kind of stuff. And it's just a matter of time and moments and events and situations and doctor's visits and visit at the boss. And, and all of a sudden, everything changes and everything that we build our life on, our careers, our status, our fame, our fortunes, our health, all of it is gone. And then all of a sudden, we're broken. The best thing we can do is to humble ourselves, put ourselves in the right position. You see what happens when life comes at us and stresses and worries and fears and, and struggles come at us. We, we respond in kind of a multiplicity of ways. You might be a, a fighter. I'm a fighter, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight the stresses. And you might fight the stresses that come at you. You're like, I'm going to conquer you. You're not going to beat me. I'm a, I'm a go-getter. I'm a fixer. Lori comes to her problems with me. I can fix all your problems. Here's the answers. I'm a fixer. I'm a fighter. Some people are not fighters. They're flighters. Okay? They, they run. And I get it. They don't want to fight. They don't want the conflict. They want to run from here to there. They want to go away. They want to go to another job. They want to go to another career. They want to go to another uh, relationship. They want to go to a, a better thing, a better church. They want, to, they want to move away. Instead of being a part of a solution in a stressful moment, they just want to go and they want to fight. They want to flight away. But there's another category that you may not have thought of. Whenever stress and anxiety and fear and worry comes upon us, and that is there's the freezers, and they just freeze up and they lock up. They don't know what to do. And then there's opportunities to perform and they're thinking, oh, I can't do it. I'm, uh, I'm unsuccessful. I don't have the courage. I don't have the strength. I can't do it. And they freeze and they, they have all this head talk going on and they can't move forward and they can't move backward and they can't move sideways and they just don't know what to do because the anxiety is just absolutely crippling them. Very natural responses. You're one of those. There's a supernatural response though. I had to put it in an F. Okay, it's Flex. Not, not this flex, okay? It's more of the flex. That's the humble posture. How are you going to deal with the stresses? Hopefully you will flex and you will bend and you will bow and you will say, God, I'm tired of being God. I'm tired of trying to play God. I'm ready for you to be the God of the universe. How are you going to deal with the stress, the anxiety, the worry, the fear of your life? Stop being God. And let the one who is God step back. Let him be the God that he is. Because here's what God will do many times in our lives is whenever we assert ourselves to the throne of our lives, he will let us be the God of our life and he will allow us to make our own messes. And then, then we turn to him. Don't, don't do that. Different rhythm, different year, different beat, different dance. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So what does that look like? Uh, what do, how, how does that bring me assurance when I'm anxious? How does that bring me confidence when I'm worrying? How does that bring me, how does that get me? How does this humility thing exactly work? Here's, here's some things that you just need to jot down about, about it because he goes on and he develops it even further. And here's some things you just need to rest on is that my situation is on God's timetable, okay? God is above it all. He sees tomorrow before you see tomorrow. Whether today was good and tomorrow will be bad or t today is bad and tomorrow will be better or you know, maybe tomorrow will be worse. I don't know. But he sees it all. 
He's fully aware. Never is there emergency meetings in heaven. Never does God say, oops, I didn't know that was going to happen or anything like that. He is fully, fully aware. And it's in his timing that he will take care of the situation when we humbly walk with him. Humbly walk with him. Let me me elaborate on this because he said this. I like this phrase. He said, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, proper time. One translation I read in due time. The most literal translation of this phrase is in the right time. You know, there are certain things that you're just not quite ready for. That God may do in your life, fulfill in your life. He's given you a promise in your life, but you're not ready for. You're not ready for that promotion because your character's not there. Some people go up like rockets and they come down like rocks because... Their abilities take them where their character can't keep them. That's a problem. Um, there was a time in Lori and I's life, in our early part of our marriage, Jordan was just a baby, and, and I sensed that God was calling us to live internationally. I didn't know if it was former Soviet Union. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know if it, it certainly didn't think it was going to be Africa and it ended up being Africa. But it was not as easy as, okay, Mike felt called to Africa, so the family loaded up and packed up and landed left. It was not that at all. In fact, it was three years after the time that I sensed that God was calling us to go before Lori even sensed it was time for us to go or felt called to go. And on top of that, then we had a whole another year, year and a half to wait before we ever left. Wait, man. It wasn't the time. It wasn't the proper time. It wasn't the right time. I look now back at that and I go, at that time, I wasn't ready. We weren't ready. And he, God had to teach us a few more things. God had to grow some things up in us. It wasn't the proper time. It wasn't the opportune time. It wasn't the best time for us. I can remember back in 1993, October 1993. It was in my, the backyard of my in-laws. Lived here in Northwest Arkansas. We were back for Jordan's first birthday, and we were celebrating with family. and And as we were celebrating, um, I was in the backyard, and I can still remember to this day where I was in the backyard, looking up to the heavens. It was just me and God, and we were having this conversation. And in this conversation, I was like, God, I'm re- I'd love to come back to Northwest Arkansas and pastor a church and be a part of a church and be a part of a movement. And it was like, Mm-mm. but God, I feel this longing and this calling. Mm-mm. It was seven years later before God allowed us to come here because I wasn't ready. I tell people this all the time. God had to take me to Africa and strip away a lot of stuff out of my life before he would ever bring me back to Northwest Arkansas. God is going to do stuff in your life and you're going to wonder where are you at, God? What is going on? Whose timetable? Do you not realize this is going on right now? God, I need answers now. No, no, no. You are living under God's timetable. Otherwise, what you do, if you live under his timetable, then the worry, the stress, and God being late is no longer an issue because God's never late. But all of a sudden, if you take take yourself outside of God's will and you start living according to your plan, you start being the God of your own universe, then what happens then is now you're left with the consequences of your decision and you have to come up with the answers and the solutions to all the life's problems. That's why living under 
in, in humility is the better way to go. My situation is in God's control, leads me to number two. It's on his timetable, but it's in his control. Listen, it's God's job to promote you. It's your job to be faithful, to be humble. I bet I didn't get the promotion that I thought I was going to get. Don't worry about it. It's your job to be faithful and humble. It's God's job. But I I was going to marry that person. Mm -mm. It's your job to be faithful and humble. It's God's job to promote you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in due time or in right time, He will exalt you. When you're ready and on His timetable, He'll put you in the right spot. That takes the stress, the worry, the fear, the anxiety off of you and puts it on to God. Even though it may not be in your timetable and it may not be in your plan, it's under Him. Here's the second thing. So we got to first step back so that we can step up. Okay, as we step back, God becomes God, we become man, we follow him, we step in line with him, and then he in due time will exalt us, step us forward. Okay, but number two is hang on by letting go. Hang on by letting go. Start releasing your life back to God in prayer. Very important. That as you got the worries, the fears, and the anxieties that come upon you, they're also natural. We all have them. We're all going to have them. I'm not giving you a prescription to get out of them. You're going to have them. But what I am trying to show you is from the, Holy, from the Scriptures is that there is a plan to deal with them. And as you're in the stressful, anxious moments, then what you do is you give them over to Him and let God do what God can do and you can't do. Jot these verses down, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. This is out of the message. I want to read it to you out of a paraphrase. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. It seems so, let me just pause right there. It seems so inconsequential. It seems so powerless. It seems so empty. It seems like like I pray and, and God doesn't answer. And I prayed one time driving down the road and God didn't give me what I wanted. So he doesn't answer my prayers. No, this is a relationship thing. So you're gonna pray instead of worry. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concern. So tell him what's bothering you. Before you know it, the, senses of, the sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. It's freeing. It's like the weight of the world comes off and peace comes in. I'm not speaking of something crazy here. I'm talking about a drug. I'm talking about a freedom that comes whenever you stop being God, let God be God, you humble yourself under Him, and then you start taking your anxieties, worries, and concerns to Him. There's a freedom that comes with that. There's a freedom of lifting. In fact, when Jesus was looking at His disciples, He was noticing all the stress, the worry that, that was upon them. He said this to them, Hey, listen, you got too much on you. You're carrying too much. He says, You need to take my yoke on you, Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, and then you will find rest for your souls. (sighs) 
worry, stress, anxiety will not only strangle you, the Anglo-Saxon etymology of the word worry, but it will cause your soul to just absolutely fatigue. And there's no answers and you don't have energy and you can't move forward. Verse 7, back in 1 Peter, casting all your anxieties on him because, why, 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 why would I do that? Because he cares for you. Because he's a big God and he's a big God who loves you deeply. Because he really, really wants you to bring your concerns to him. Because he really, really wants you to cast your, your cares on him. And that word cast literally means to give the responsibility over. God doesn't like it when we take his responsibility of managing the universe, of fixing all the problems of thinking our bank accounts are going to buy us out and buy us happiness. But whenever we actually take those cares and we go, okay, God, I'm giving them to you. I'm casting them on you. I'm giving you the responsibility. Again, the freedom that comes with that. I'll tell the story before. I'll tell it again because it's just, I think it's, it's the best picture Growing up in a divorced home, multiple divorces situation to where my mother was raising three boys uh, without any child support and it was difficult and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, I wanted to go out and play baseball. I wanted to play hot pepper with my mother. Uh, my mother, okay, I'm not, ladies, I know some of y'all could probably out pepper me, but my mother was not the person, okay? I could throw it right at her glove and she'd drop it let alone when I really want to start wearing back and throwing one, she was just not the person. And it was so kind of discouraging, but hey, it was the life. She tells the story of one night, all of us three boys were in our bedroom that we shared together and are just praying over us. And her own sense of feeling inadequate as a mother and her feeling like, I can't, I can't do this, God. And I can't raise three boys. And so her prayer was this, and she told me this years later. She said, she said I just gave you over to God. She said, God, I, I can't be their dad, but I can be their mom. If you'll be their dad, I'll be the best mom I can be. And that's the way she raised us boys. Two of her boys have been missionaries. Another one's a member of our church and serves in our church. She's going to Mozambique with us in a few weeks. All three of us are walking with God. Now, now we also did drugs and skipped school and did all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying it was all easy after that prayer. I mean, there was, there was, there was everything that came after that. But here's the thing. She was praying a prayer that she didn't even realize that probably she was praying as she was giving responsibility of raising boys over, over to God. She was realizing she was living Psalm 55 verse 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord. Give God the burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He'll get you through it. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be cakewalk, but he will get you through it. Another verse we like to quote is Psalm 46, verse 10. It says, be still and know that I am God. I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Psalms. Be still and know that I am God. I'm going to know 
who God is. I'm going to experience God at a deeper and more intimate level when I'm still. Oh, by the way, a more literal translation of that phrase that other translations have put it is, is stop striving. Stop fighting and clawing and working at it and trying to fix it yourself. And let God be God in your situation. Eugene Peterson said it like this when he was talking about prayer. Everyone, nearly everyone believes in God. It throws casual, off-handed remarks in general direction from time to time. But prayer is something quite different. I want you to think back to the days, you know, when the relationship was really sweet and you used to go on those date nights and you used to go to that restaurant that you used to always like and and it was the the mood was always right and you would plan it and you would look forward to it and you'd both engage in it and you would sit down and the lights were dim in the place. There'd be other people in the restaurant, but there was nobody else in the restaurant. It was just you and that other that significant other that you love and you would spend time with and you engage in conversation and you would download the good, the bad, and the ugly and you would listen to the other person and you would pour into and then there'd be times of silence. But yet even in the silence, there was a fullness and there was a completeness. You were fully engaged with that person. You even would take your phone and you would put it face down and you would. nobody else was more important in the world. No. Facegram or Instagram or any face, Facegram, Facebook, Instagram or any of those other social media distractions were more important than the person that you were sitting across from. Remember those days? Remember those days whenever the waiter would come and he would interrupt you just ever so briefly and he would pour you a new drink or, or something like that and see if you were okay and you would quickly brush them off and go back into the conversation with the most important person on the universe. Remember those days, beautiful moments? Hopefully you're still having them. And then you'd get up from the dinner after an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Time just flew. You didn't pay attention to the time. You'd just sit and have these conversations and then you'd get up and walk back out into the noise of the world and the rush of the world and you'd hear other things, but you would still be the most important person that you're walking with is that person that you were with. And you would still have conversation. It would maybe not as deep, but it was still real. That's what it means to talk to God. When you have deep, intimate conversations with God, God's not the maitre d' who gets you to the table. He's not the waiter who comes and waits on you. And then on Sunday, you come in and you tip him as you you walk in and kind of say, thank you for the service, God. It was good. And you go back to life. No, God is the intimate other in your life that you're listening to, pouring into, and you're listening to them as they listen. That's what prayer is. It's not a program. I just got back from West Africa, as you know, spent time over there with the team, but I scheduled myself to where I would come back and I would stop off in Paris. And I spent two and a half days in Paris by myself. And uh, as an introvert, you love those days. And especially after being 24-7 on kind of thing. And I just spent time and I just spent time in the Word. And, and everybody's speaking French around me, so I don't really understand anything that's going on. And so, But I'm in the Word and I'm studying. I spent prepared probably 90% of this message while I was there. I worked on the rest of the series while I was there. I was in time in prayer. I was in time of confession while I was there. It was my time with God. 
as I walked the streets, as I went to the Louvre, as I experienced it at all. It was beautiful, meaningful too. And listen, I went on a date with God to Paris, the city of love. Think about that. When's the last time you went on a date with God? Nobody else, nothing else, none, none of this other distractions. Go on a date with God. Eugene Peterson goes on to say, he said, prayer is the act in which we approach God as a living person, a thou to whom we speak, not an it that we talk about. Prayer is the attention that we give to the one who attends to us. It is the decision to approach God as the personal center, as the Lord and our Savior, and our entire lives gathered up and expressed in the approach. You know, he says to cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. If this is my life and this phone represents the cares of this world, it would be this thick and this wide and I couldn't even hold it. And that's the point. You can't carry the weight of this world. But what happens is when I do this and I can't and God can and I take those cares and I give them to Him, I still have to work inside those cares, but no longer am I carrying them. He's carrying them and I'm walking with God. He has the responsibility and I'm just going with God. What are you doing and how are you casting your cares on Him? I want to close with a story from our church. His name is Brian. He sits out there with you every week. And Brian, um, Brian can remember growing up and, uh, and, and, and being, uh, uh, doing like all the kids, our kids did anyway. You get them a toy and they play with a box, you know, kind of thing. And so his parents would get him old refrigerator boxes, okay? Anybody ever play with old refrigerator boxes growing up? I mean, it's the cheapest toy you can get, okay? If you haven't bought your kids a refrigerator, uh, go get a free refrigerator box, go get one. Uh, and they're great toys. You can cut them up and make them all kinds of things. Well, he had one, and a friend at one time closed him up in it and where he was a child and couldn't get out. He says that was the first time he felt this fear that is going to stay with him the rest of his life. A fear that would, that would morph and, and take on other fears, a fear of claustrophobia, would then turn to where his mom would end up taking him to counseling. And as they went to counseling, there were other things obviously contributing to this. That was just his very first memory of the fear. And he goes into counseling and the counselor diagnoses him as having a separation anxiety. He had the military dad who was a Navy guy and you didn't have much feelings and you just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you don't, you don't talk about how you feel and you just kind of go through life. And it was one fear building on another fear, building on another anxiety, on another phobia that led him to having a, a, an areophobia, a fear of flying of getting inside the, 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 the plane and being enclosed and not being able to get out took him way, way back to his childhood. Think about that. And the fear and the anxiety that wrapped him in, inside, he would, he would turn down jobs so he, that he would not have to fly. 
His boss one time said, hey, I want to take you on a corporate, uh, uh, I want to take you on a, to the corporate offices and I want you to get a ticket and we're going to go there together. And it's an opportunity to run with the boss and to meet the, the hobnobs at the, at the home office and all that kind of stuff. And he literally buys a ticket, but he buys a refundable ticket. And a day before he's a time to leave, he t- cashes the ticket in because he's afraid to fly. He wouldn't even get in a car and travel for hours. He's telling me all of this. Um, and then now Brian is, is, is doing the experiencing God study with us last fall. He's listening to the voices series. And he said, came and set up an appointment with me when he downloaded all this to me. And he said, Mike, I'm really afraid of something. I said, what? He said, I'm afraid that God's going to call me to fly. He's going to call me to get on a plane and go somewhere. And I said, and you should. You should get on a plane and just fly and then fly back if you want to. He said, you need to approach this fear and tackle it and co- overcome this fear. He says, I don't know. He said, I'm coming to the point in the Bible study where it's talking about crisis of belief and I'm going to have to make a decision. Am I going to obey God or am I not going to obey God? I said, you're right. You're going to have to do that. And you know what? On the day you go, I want to go with you. I said, I want to fly with you. I want to go with you. I want to be with you. And I couldn't go with him, but he did write me. He said, Mike, I want you to take me to the airport. I'm going to Chicago. So he and his buddy and his wife got him to the airport. He said, I've been here before and I've left. As you can see on the right, he's walking the streets of Chicago after flying there. He's now, listen to this, he's now talking about going to Africa on a mission trip. You talk about being set free? from anxiety and fear and worry, that is an example. What is it in your life that has crippled you? Fear, worry, anxiety, it's freezing you up. You're running from it. You're not getting answered. What is it? The greatest prayer you can pray is, oh God, save me from myself. Save me from my fear. Save me from my sins. In the book of Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. The best and first prayer every person should pray to God is God set me free from me so that I can walk with you, so that I can be free in you. Maybe your prayer today It's just that. That's where you start. And where do you go from there? I don't know. But you go with him. Would you bow your heads with me? As you bow your heads and you just think for a moment with me, Alcoholics Anonymous is a great organization that's helped a lot of people find freedom. They have a challenge that they give to people. And they say that we want you to do a fearless inventory of your life. A fearless inventory of your life. That's what I want you to do right here, right now. Remember that that thing earlier that I said, put in your hands and hold it there? Maybe you need to open your hands back out again and just think about that thing. And just say, God... I'm crippled, I'm frozen, 
I'm fearful. I'm worried. I don't know what to do. Would you set me free from me? Set me free from my fears. I don't want to be a slave anymore. I want to be free. We're going to give you a time where you can just set where you are and reflect and pray and seek God. But if you're here today and you pray, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to be free from me and my own mistakes. Set me free and save me from me. I want you to come tell me. I want you to tell me, tell Wade, tell Randy, tell Caleb, tell Brooke, tell, tell Leodra, tell one of our pastors. Tell me in the, in the lobby, tell me wherever, but be free and declare it in your freedom. Father God, you know our hearts, you know our minds, you know where we're at right now. Lord, set us free. For when the Son has set us free, we are free indeed.